Hey, it says it's recording. Waiting patiently for patients who has a patient's allergy. I have to show patients while I wait for the one who's allergic to patients. Ah! A video image has appeared. Sounded like you were smacking your ass. I mean, I know you can't hear me right now, but I heard smacking. It was almost like the sound I make when I put aftershave on my face and slap, but I can't see any reason why you'd be putting on an aftershave. It's not smell-o-vision. Waiting. Oh, the big drink jug. Drink it on us. Drink in the ice. That jug would be awesome if you actually had something alcoholic in it. It's just some health mixture thing that you've concocted. All we need is just a little patience. Do, 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 do. Patience. Ah. You're singing me a song. I was just singing Guns N' Roses' Patience. Yeah, you might need a lot of patience while you're waiting for me. That's okay. Sorry about that. How are ya? Oh, I'm good, Paul. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, let me just moisturise before my face falls off. Uh, what was that slapping earlier? There was slapping? When you went off camera just before, it sounded like you were like slapping yourself or something. Mm, Go back and listen to it. It might have been me mixing up my drink. There was ice in it. I don't know. Yeah, it could have been it, maybe. Hello, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Book of Boredom podcast with your patriarch, Brother Paul. And with me, as always, the head of my harem, the <laughs> queen of my harlots, my eternal companion, Sister Patience. Hi, Paul. How you doing, Sister Patience? I'm good, thanks, Patriarch Paul. Oh, wow. You're even doing the sexy voice tonight. Are we going to have to put a higher rating on this episode because we're getting raunchy? Oh, if we can. I'll try and turn up the raunch meter You keep talking like that, we're going to have to charge two ninety five a minute. How have you been this last week? Anything exciting happened in the world of Patience? Well... My induction hot plate finally gave up the ghost and I chucked it out. That was pretty much it. Oh, we really know how to live life to the max, don't we? Oh, look, when you're blowing up induction hot plates, it doesn't get any more intense than that. See, I don't even know what that is. What is an induction hot plate? An induction hot plate heats pots and pans by exciting molecules inside the metal. So what happens is you can put your hand on top of the plate and you don't burn yourself. Right. But if you put a metal pan on the plate, it heats up the metal pan. Pretty cool. Well, there you go. I learned something yeah. new. Here I am still using a barbecue plate like a sucker. What's been exciting in your week? Ah, mate, I am just as boring as you outside of the show. I haven't done much at all. <laughs> just work and parenting and looking after crazy dogs and that's about it. Yeah, you sound like a pretty busy fellow. Yes, my weekend was all the excitement of housework and mowing the lawn and washing the car. Oh. <laughs> Only to have the rain kick in as soon as I was done, so, you know. Oh. Yes. Let's just say life at 41 is not how I pictured it when I was 17, but there you go. Life that you pictured at 17 was kind of shitty, wasn't it? Yeah, actually, then again, when I was 17, I was still in the church. So, yeah, the life I pictured was a wife and a few more kids and going to church on Sunday. So, incidentally, on Sunday, instead of going to church, I took my daughter to the pub for lunch, and that was quite nice. Yeah. I do find, actually, since I got out of the church, I intentionally try to do something good on Sunday, like something memorable. Oh. With my daughter, rather than making a sit through hours of church boredom, right. I try to actually do something good that she'll enjoy. And, you know, hopefully when she's older, her memories of her dad on Sundays will be a fun activities, not just sitting in church. That's awesome. Yeah. You're turning it into something good. Sorry, mum and dad. I mean, no offence. You guys were fine. But it was boring. <laughs> I'm sure they were bored too, Paul. They just felt like they had to do it. Yeah, yeah. Nobody will admit it, but they were. <laughs> Actually, one of my funniest parenthood stories was with my son, Liam. He would have been 18 months old or so. He didn't like sitting in church either because he knew he didn't have a lot of time with me and he wanted to go and have fun. I was sitting in the church meeting and he was kind of playing up, making noise. I was trying to get him to settle down. He kept pointing outside like, outplay, outplay. I was like, no, no, Liam, we have to sit in here and, and listen. And then he stood in front of me and stared at me, squinted his face, and his face went kind of red. I'm like, what are you doing? And then I smelt what he was doing. Then he looked at me again, smiled, pointed outside and said, out now, daddy. <laughs> he intentionally shit his nappy to get out of church. Oh, 
Oh, my God. That is quite memorable. Yeah, it takes shit to get out of church. It really does. Yeah. Literally. But anyway, I must say I'm rather proud. You did a bit of geography study this week. You put this post up about this magical land by the Red Sea that we were talking about that (laughs) supposedly Nephi and his family went to travel to. Talk us through that. What did you learn about the geography? What really astounded me was the beauty of that particular location that some of the Mormons think might have been where the River Laman is located. The fact that they think it's there, well, that's just because Joseph gave very, very vague descriptions. So it really could be anywhere in the Middle East that's near the Red Sea. Spoiler alert, later on they travelled to America. No one in the church can really say exactly where in America they were either. It's just they were somewhere in the middle. Probably around Mexico, but nobody has found any solid evidence for any of these locations. And as you point out, Joseph Smith's description is very vague. It's as if he only had the Bible to go by as a reference. Yeah, a very basic understanding. I don't think he'd really done much study. I don't know if he even bothered to look at a map. No, I don't think so. The Bible says the Red Sea exists. There's rivers and valleys around it that run into it, which usually happens when there's seas. Every point he makes about this location is was near the Red Sea. It was in the borders close to the Red Sea. It emptied into the Red Sea. What I want to know is what does he mean by borders? Half the time he uses the word borders in a way that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they didn't have borders in that region. It was all the one country back then. It was all the one location. It's like he thinks that everything he says has borders. Yeah, yeah. And that we should know what they are. Exactly. <laughs> and the funniest thing you noticed, Mormons claim they think they found the spot where it could be. Yeah. Which was 355 kilometres away from Jerusalem. And they got there in three days. That's a pretty good clip. That is fucking <laughs> epic. When you consider it took Moses and his family 40 years to do 600 kilometres. <laughs> yeah. You know, Lehi and his gang did 355 in three days. <laughs> On foot. I mean, granted, they weren't carrying their expensive ship with them, so they weren't weighed down. They were travelling light. Yeah, they left all their gold behind. That's true. You should probably do the maths. The average person will walk five kilometres per hour. That's 71 hours and we've got three days. They'd have to be walking, no sleep, 24 hours a day for three days straight. There you go. That's almost impossible. Each one of them, including a 100-year-old man and his wife, non-stop for like three days. I didn't actually say that they walked, so they might have been on camelback, but it doesn't say that anywhere. But see, camels move slower than people, though. Have you seen a camel move? No. They're like, you didn't. Nice and slow, nice and slow. Since we're doing the mass, average walking speed of a camel. Oh, I love this. Let's do it. Also five kilometres an hour. Oh, my God. So all the camels did was enable them to, like, not have to take breaks or whatever. Oh, they're fucked. There's no way. Lehi and Sarai only went once. Nephi and his brothers went back three times. Oh. So they're doing this three-day, five kilometres an hour journey three times. If they were smart, have a boat that they could do part of the travel up the Red Sea to Aqaba, do the first quarter by sea. From there, they could probably, like, walk the rest. Mm, I don't know if they'd be any quicker, though. What sort of boat are they using? Yeah, good point. Not like they could hook a two-stroke onto the back of it. They'd be going against the current, too. So walking was probably slicker, more convenient, and camels wouldn't have been any better. Camels would just get bloody annoyed having to keep doing that trek forward back all the time. <laughs> camels are stubborn bastards. They don't really like this walking shit. Camels are hilarious. <laughs> actually, actually, a little side trivia my daughter Lily told me in a Star Wars, the voice of Chewbacca was actually camel noises. Do your best, Chewbacca. <laughs> Nailed it. That was a camel. With the geography out of the way, how about we get into actually reading this goddamn book? All right. And learn more about this geographic wonder that <laughs> Lehi and his family found. The good news is we're getting into some really boring shit in the next few chapters because it's all prophecies and visions and dreams. I just skimmed through and it's like Lehi dreams and sees the prophecy. (sighs) And then Nephi decides he wants to see it too. (sighs) So they both pretty much see the same thing. How boring. They could have at least seen something different. I know. Uh, Joseph Smith, he's just so uncreative. Yeah. He disappoints me. So chapter eight, I am going to crack open another beverage. Oh, what you drinking? One of my favourite Australian beers tonight. 
Kosciuszko Pale Ale. Ooh, Kosciuszko Pale Ale. That does sound nice. It is very good. And the good people of Kosciuszko, we are open to sponsors. If you wish to sponsor us, I will gladly promote your beverage even more. We can be bought. We can be bought. That's right. Not too proud. Yeah. We are open to all offers for sponsorship. Uh-huh. While we're on that, we should talk about Patreon before we get into the book. Do it, Paul. We would love for you to join Patreon and support us and help us to grow the podcast and spread it to more people. And unlike the church, we're not going to ask for 10% of your income. How much do we need? Patience is a couple of bucks a month is all we ask, isn't it? $3. Well, there you go. So we're not asking for much. And we will not tell you that you won't go to hell if you don't give us the money. (laughs) It's just you will go to hell if you don't give us the money. Yeah, you'll get bonus content in there as well. Yes exclusive Patreon-only contents. That's right. The first one will be the... Murder Amongst the Mormons. We did this chat about a week or so ago, and it was actually quite interesting what I managed to dig out of Paul's brain there. Yep. We will give our review of the documentary Murder Amongst the Mormons. That will be our first Patreon-only content. And then we also have, according to numbers, do various challenges. So we've agreed if we hit 100 patrons, our first task is we'll do a live watching the South Park Mormon episode, and we'll analyze that and talk for that. So that's our first target. We have other targets for after that, which are even more fun. We really loved having guests for the last few episodes, and we will have more of them coming on as well. So tune in. Plenty of good information to come your way, as well as me and Patience just piss-farting about. Also, with the amazing interviews that we've done, if they go beyond what we can fit into a regular episode, we might end up chopping them up and putting stuff that's not episode-related into the Patreon feed. Yes, yes. It will be worth your money if you enjoy what we do. Yeah. So please enjoy us and subscribe to Patreon. (laughs) All right. But anyway, we are into First Nephi, Chapter 8. Let's see what crazy antics the crew is up to this one. Oh, you know it's going to be crazy. All right. And it came to pass. Ding! (laughs) Now, hang on. You're doing the sound effects now. I don't need to say ding anymore, right? You've got the ding. You don't need to say it, but you can say it if you want to. I was going to ask the spitting drink out sound effect, because there are sections where I would like to use that effect, but I don't really want to actually spit out my drink. We need to get you a soundboard, Paul, where you can just hit a button and it'll make a sound. All right. If you subscribe to us on Patreon, I will be able to afford a soundboard. (laughs) I'm working on some software that you'll be able to do that with. All right. Well, I'm not going to spit my drink, but I'll just say spit drink here. And it came to pass. That we had gathered together all manner of seeds of every kind, both of grain of every kind and also of the seeds of fruit of every kind. Okay. And it came to pass that while my father tarried in the wilderness, he spake unto us. Hang on a second. They gathered seeds of every kind. Yeah. So we're talking every fruit, vegetable. Do you know how many seeds that would be? That's a lot. There's not like Noah's Ark where they can just take two of each. I mean, anybody knows anything about agriculture, as Joseph Smith should have because he was a farmer. <laughs> I know that when you want to plant crops, it's not like you can put a single seed in the ground and hope that that one seed grows into your tree. Yeah. You need to plant like thousands of the same type of seed uh-huh. in the hope that a few will sprout. Okay, so we've got maybe 10 people coming out of Jerusalem carrying <laughs> these massive bags of seeds. Yeah, we're talking about maybe hundreds of kilos each. They still maintain that five kilometers an hour while doing that? I don't know. Hey, some things don't grow straight from seeds. Some things are bulbs. Some things are, it wouldn't have just been like a tiny little seed they would have carried with them. Some things are massive. Yeah. They've gone from going out in the wilderness with literally nothing to now they're in the wilderness with all their money, all of their gold, all of their plates, all the seeds in existence. They've gone from nothing to overkill. I mean, no wonder the pictures of them that the artist do of Nephi and his people have them all as big buff people. Yeah, they all look so ripped, don't they? No wonder they were buffed. They were carrying hundreds of kilos while walking at five kilometers an hour for three days. Oh, totally. These were fucking superhumans, man. Forget the Marvel Universe. These guys had the superpowers. The mighty Mormon wilderness rangers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And there is our title for this episode. Write it down. I I sense a cartoon coming on. (laughs) Actually, that's something I was thinking about doing um i'd really like to maybe make a cartoon that features our mascot okay 
the mighty Mormon Wilderness Rangers. Write it down. Copyright, <laughs> trademark. Nobody else steal that idea. That is ours. We're keeping it. The other thing I kind of want to do, Paul, is after every podcast recording we do, I rewrite that chapter or two chapters or whatever we read in simple English what was actually said. Oh, okay. We can do that. <laughs> the shorthand version? The short version that should have been on the plates, complete with swearing. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> All right, we definitely need your Patreon money because suddenly this is becoming a full-time job for both of us. And oh, I, no. we both have families to feed and bills to pay and we need a lot of money. So if we could get maybe 10, 20,000 Patreons <laughs> in the next month, that'll be great. And it came to pass that while my father tarried in the wilderness, he spake unto us, saying, Behold, I have dreamed a dream. Or, in other words... I have seen a vision. <laughs> Why did he have to say, in other words, I have seen a vision? No one says that. You should just say, hey, guys, I've seen a vision. That's it. I dream dreams, but I'm not going to get up the next morning and say to my family, hey, I had a vision. You're not going to get up and go, I have dreamed a dream. Or in other words, I have seen a vision. Can you imagine that Martin Luther King gets up, I have a dream. Or in other <laughs> words, I have a vision. They all would have been like, oh, pipe down, get off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the great orators and speech people of all time always just said, I have a dream. And that was it. They didn't follow it up with, and or in other words, I had a vision. Okay. And behold, because of the thing which I have seen, I have reason to rejoice in the Lord because of Nephi and also of Sam. For I have reason to suppose that they and also many of their seed will be saved. Nice. God, they really like the word seed. Yeah. It's just everywhere. Uh, I mean, they could just say children, you know, or, or kids. Yeah. 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 yeah, it all just starts sounding really, really gross. Yeah, you know, I refer to my kids as crotch goblins, so I guess we all have our little nicknames <laughs> for our children. The spawn of Paul. Yes. But behold, Laman and Lemuel, I fear exceedingly because of you. For behold, methought I saw in my dream a dark and dreary wilderness. Me thought. It's kind of Shakespearean. Again, that's Joseph Smith trying to sound more linguistic than he actually was. Yeah, I'm just going to look up the King James Bible to see if they ever used the word methought, because I don't think that's a thing. Okay, methinks is definitely Shakespearean. Yeah, he's getting his centuries mixed up here. He's, he's gone from, you know, 600 BC to 400 AD to 1600, all in like the one verse. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's in there. Mm, probably not. The Bible never uses the word me thought. Probably because, like I said, it was more of a Shakespearean era word, which was all written after the Bible was written. Oh, my God. That's so dumb. So, again, it's just the inconsistencies of Joseph Smith's story. <laughs> He's like, let's use me thought and sound all profound. All right. I fear exceedingly because of you, for behold, me thought I saw in my dream a dark and dreary wilderness, and it came to pass that I saw a man, oh, and he was dressed in a white robe, oh, and he came and stood before me, and it came to pass that he spake unto me and bade me follow him, and it came to pass that as I followed him, I beheld myself that I was in a dark and dreary waste, and after I had travelled for the space of many hours in darkness, I began to pray unto the Lord that he would have mercy on me according to the multitude of his tender mercies. Oh, so tender. Uh, I'm just thinking, okay, he's having a dream where a dude dressed in a white dress says, come and follow me to the middle of nowhere. And they go to this really dark, dreary place. <laughs> I think he's lonely. Pretty sure I saw a similar story on murder mysteries. Man leads person into wilderness where there's no one around. <sighs> Some strange man in a white dress said, patience, come follow me, and like started walking out to the middle of nowhere. Would you follow? Fuck no. Exactly. <laughs> and then his first thoughts are, let's pray to the Lord for tender mercies. Oh. You really like the sound of that, don't you? This really is a 295 per minute episode. <laughs> oh, 1-800-PATIENTS-NOW. 1-800-TENDER-MERCIES. Ooh. <laughs> 
we should make that a website. If we ever get a thousand Patreons, we'll create the Tender Mercy <laughs> website. Forget Pornhub, we'll go Tender Mercies. I just think it's weird that he's got this fellow that's shown up in a bathrobe and is leading him through into dark places. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be much in this dream so far. Mm. He eats bad pizza and then he just dreams weird dreams. Yeah. And it came to pass, after I had prayed unto the Lord, I beheld a large and spacious field. And it came to pass that I beheld a tree whose fruit was desirable to make one happy. Can you think of a fruit that makes you happy? Um, I do quite like apples and I like passion fruit. Okay, but does it make you happy? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Fruit kind of makes me happy. Oh, okay. You're talking to a vegan, though, Paul. Like, you know, these are the things I eat that make me happy. So this part of the dream is working for you. You're like, yeah, I can go for some fruit. I can go for some fruit, yeah. All right. Well, let's see what happens when he eats this fruit, which I suspect may have been more like a mushroom of some description, (laughs) going by what he's talking about. Mushrooms are vegan friendly, so it's win-win there. Oh, for sure. And it came to pass that I did go forth and partake of the fruit thereof, and I beheld that it was most sweet above all that I ever before tasted. Above all that I ever before tasted. That is such a weird way to say that! Oh my god! Smitty just doesn't know how to do English. Anyway, yay! And I beheld that the fruit thereof was white. Ah, oh, of course it was, Smitty, you fucking foodist person. <laughs> we, we discussed last week the racism that's to come. And so apparently in this universe, not only white people are really good, white fruit is all you're going to have to do. <laughs> so get your apples, patience. Your red and green apples are not good enough. It needs to be a white apple. Oh, okay. Oh, I don't... Mm. Yeah, probably soaked in bleach first or something, but either way, you don't want to eat it. I can't even imagine. Maybe an apple with no skin would be almost white. What? Who's going to peel it? Jesus is going to peel my apple. Uh, (laughs) Well, that wouldn't surprise me. (laughs) Anyway, the white man is eating the white fruit, and he's just come out of the dark place. I mean, (laughs) darkness, bad. Anything dark, bad. Anything white, good is basically the message we get so far. That's another interesting question. Jews of this era, were they white? I doubt it. We don't really know, do we? I think that's the bottom line. We just don't really know. Middle Eastern people these days have got the brown skin. Mm. We're talking only a couple thousand years. From evolutionary perspective, I guess, because it does take a long time for skin colours to change significantly, they were probably similar colour to what they are now in that region. Lehi and all these people would have been darker skin coloured. Jesus would have been darker skin coloured. But, of course, Joseph Smith is like, no, they have to be white to be good. (laughs) Because he's American descended from Europeans where they have the white skin colour. Yeah. He really fucked up his whole race thing, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really just fucked himself in the ass with that one. Exactly. <laughs> if we look at it from a science perspective, humans as we are now have been around for about 200,000 years. We started in Africa where everyone had dark skin, believe it or not. And then eventually as we split into different parts of the world, the skin colours changed depending on climate and nothing else. A couple of thousand years is a small time frame, so most likely the skin colours would have been similar back then. And here in just... Science 101 for this week. Genetics 101 with Paul. We've done geography, we've done exciting atoms, and we've done skin colour and biology this evening. So we've covered a broad spectrum. Oh, I love talking to you about science, Paul. It's one of my favourite topics too. Although you're actually studying it now. You're going to go way beyond me. Mm, Yeah. uh, Actually, how is study going, Paul? It's going well. Thank you, Patience. Good. I am learning many manner of interesting learning things that I've been learning. There you go, I did a Joseph Smith sentence. (laughs) And I did learn unto myself many things of which I learned. And the things that I learned, I learned deeply and spoke thereof to those around me. I can Joseph Smith the shit out of this. Oh, you can Joseph Smith the shit out of anything. Joseph Smith is a noun and a verb. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to start using this on the Facebook page now. We're Joseph Smithing the hell out of this. Do you think that when you were in high school, if you weren't a Mormon, that you might have been more interested in doing some of the science subjects? Yeah, my interest in science has been a more recent thing. Back in high school, I didn't need to learn science because God did it. I remember constantly arguing with my science teachers about that. You know, they tried to teach the actual (laughs) science stuff, and I'm just like, no, God did it. No, God did it. 
You're stupid. God did it. But yeah, after I got out of the church, I reached a point where I'm like, well, clearly if God didn't do it, something else had to have happened. At first, I was like, science seems to be the opposite of religion. They say that the Big Bang and evolution happened, so I'll just believe that. Then after a couple of years, I thought, I can't go from blindly believing one thing to blindly believing another. Yeah. I've got to find this shit out for myself. So I started studying science from there and just developed a real love for it because what I found was I used to always think science was just for the eggheads and the really smart people, but anybody can understand it on some level. It's not as complicated as they make it seem. Yeah. And when I studied it and learned how evolution worked and how the Big Bang happened and all that stuff, I'm like, this is really fucking cool. It is. Like, yeah. Far better than any fairy tale you could ever come up with. The vastness of the universe, the complexity of biology, the way we evolved, the way that they can prove that we evolved. It's just so just amazing shit. I love it. I love it too. So yeah, I became a total scientist. Would you say that that realization is almost more amazing than any spiritual feeling that you had as a Mormon? Oh, yeah, yeah. The truth of the universe and what's out there is far more interesting and fascinating and mind-blowing than just saying God did it. Yeah. There is so much out there that is just so fucking cool. Yeah. Everybody should learn it on some level. My mind has been more opened by studying this stuff than anything religion could have ever achieved or done. Yeah. It has that same emotional response that I think people go to religion for. Mm. Awestruckness can happen just from facts. Yeah. I can go in my backyard, break out my telescope and look out at the planets and feel just as spiritually enlightened and awakened as what I used to feel sitting in church. Yeah. You know, except now I'm physically looking at something I know exists. It's there in my lens. I love that you look through a telescope. Yeah. I need to get onto that. That's great. Yeah, we can do that together sometime <laughs> too. There is so much wonder and just amazing shit out there that mm. to say God did it is just so ignorant and narrow-minded, so missing the point and the beauty of everything. Yeah, exactly. What we know about how the universe came into being is so much more amazing than just saying God did it because we actually know quite a lot. I mean, there's still heaps we don't know, but what we do know and how we got there is incredible. And it all comes down to facts and evidence and proof. If you have a belief in God at some point, you have to abandon facts and evidence, just say, I have faith in God. The thing with science is if you want to question something, you can research it and find out. If you find fault with the theory or whatever, you can say it, and it's always self-correcting and figuring itself out. So there's nothing out there that you can't find an answer to. Where in religion, it's very much, if you don't know the answer to something, it's just, oh, God's mysterious, God works in mysterious ways. Mm. You know, he doesn't want us to know the answer right now, but maybe one day we will know the answer. It's like, bullshit. The answers to anything you want are out there if you're just willing to actually do some study and look into it instead of saying God did it. Yeah. It's not being lazy. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I'm getting all profound this evening. I love it, Paul. I was actually just chatting on Facebook with Rosalind, one of our guests who, by this episode, you will have heard her. (laughs) She was on a few weeks ago. (laughs) She was on a few weeks ago. I was chatting to her today about The Greatest Show on Earth, the Richard Dawkins book. It lays out why evolution is a fact and it gives evidence clearly and sequentially. More than it just being convincing, it's actually amazing. When you learn how they know these things, it gives you an almost spiritual experience. I know that when I first read that book in Japan years ago, I had an almost spiritual experience after I went for a walk by a stream and there were cicadas in the background and other insects and stuff. I just felt so part of everything that's alive because we are, as living beings, all permutations of an original life. Every living thing on earth shares a common ancestor. Exactly. (laughs) You know, like plants, animals, everything. We all go back to... Single cell anemas that came out of a primordial soup. The other good Richard Dawkins book I love actually is The Blind Watchmaker. Oh, I've heard people talk about that. Talks again about a lot of religious people say that life is so complex and weird that it could not have happened without some sort of divine intervention. And this whole book is like, no, no, the complexities that came along, he explains exactly how they happen. I think my one thing with science that people don't understand is the misunderstanding of the word theory. (laughs) 
I think this is something that the lay people love to really use against it. We can talk in common language and theories like an idea or a stab in the dark. I have a theory that Donald Trump has a small penis. (laughs) I don't know for sure. I just know that it's true. (laughs) And that's like a theory. It's a wild guess, okay? People throw theory around all the time. You know, I have a theory that this or that or the other. It's like it's just my wild guess. And so when science says this is a theory, people assume that it's the colloquial term or it's just a wild guess. But what it actually is, a theory is as close as you can get to an actual complete scientific principle. In order to get a theory, what you need first is a hypothesis, which is more like the colloquial term for theory. I think that this is how this works. But then you test it, you experiment. If the test and the evidence match your hypothesis, if they do, you then give it to somebody else to try and see if they can get the same results. If it doesn't work, you go back to the drawing board and start over. And so when people say evolution is just a theory, they try to talk it down as if, you know, a theory is just this wild guess and they don't know for sure. But the fact is there is more scientific evidence for evolution than for any other theory known to man except maybe gravity. We're talking fossils, geological, archaeological, biological. Okay, it's not just a quote-unquote theory. A theory is what scientists come to after they've done the tests, they've replicated the work, other people have replicated the work, they've done extensive studies, they've said, okay, this is the best conclusion we have right now based on the evidence. Then it becomes a theory. And that's something a lot of people misinterpret and misunderstand. Theory in the science definition means that there is overwhelming evidence to support this. Not that it's just some guys kind of going, yeah, I think that's what it is. So it's a very different concept. I love that you've explained that. Evolution is how we got here. There's no doubt about it. As we invent new ways of analysing things, it only confirms evolution more. Like now we have yeah. DNA analysis. Yep, DNA and RNA. And it just puts the nail in the coffin of religion. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, to all the religious people out there, like so many religious people have tried to prove that the earth is only 6,000 years old or whatever. No one has been able to provide any evidence to prove it. And the fact is, if they could, scientists would not shun someone if they were able to prove without a doubt the earth was 6,000 years old. It would be regarded as the single greatest scientific discovery of all time if someone could prove the earth was only 6,000 years old. Whoever made the discovery would be regarded as one of the greatest scientists in history and it would be a game changer. So science is there saying, hey, you want to disprove the evolution and the Big Bang thing? Go ahead. Prove to us that it's only 6,000 years old. Yeah. Nobody's been able to do it. <laughs> no. Other than read the Bible, see what that says. That's your evidence. Oh, my God. I think that the Bible is slightly better written than the Book of Mormon, but... A copy of a copy is never going to be as good as... But at the same time, the stories in the Bible... You can tell that it's just silly humans writing things down. Oh, yeah, absolutely ridiculous stories. (laughs) 400-year-old man fits every animal on earth on a boat. Yeah, totally believable. Oh, my God. We've diverged into a whole different stuff. This all started by talking about fruit and white fruit and skin colour and then it's kind of veered off. Let's get back into talking about this great white fruit. All right, so, yay, and I beheld that the fruit thereof was white to exceed all the whiteness that I had ever seen. And as I partook of the fruit thereof, it filled my soul with exceedingly great joy. Wherefore, I began to be desirous that my family should partake of it also, for I knew that it was desirable above all other fruit. And as I cast my eyes round about that perhaps I might discover my family also, I beheld a river of water. That's usually what rivers are made out of. Well, it wasn't a river of blood. Have you ever seen a river not made of water? See, why put that in there? Why not just say, I beheld a river? What about in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Well, I know. And again, that's far more believable than this bullshit. But we do know that chocolate rivers do not actually exist. Oh. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Even Joseph Smith wouldn't be that insane. Oh. Or would he? I think he would be. I think this book is going to top Willy Wonka. Let us wait and see. But yes, he had to point out that it was a river of water, just in case there was any confusion there. I beheld a river of water, and it ran along, and it was near the tree, of which I was partaking the fruit. Oh my god. And I looked to behold from whence it came, and I saw the head thereof a little way off, and at the head thereof I beheld your mother Sariah, (laughs) and Sam, and Nephi, and they stood as if they knew not whither 
they should go. I'm lost here. What is this head? I know. It just seems so weird. Let's see if we can work out what that head was from. And at the head thereof, the head of the... And I look to behold from whence it came. So the head is from where something came. I discovered it at the river of water and it ran along. Oh, the head of the river of water? Who the fuck says head of a river? I don't know. I've ever referred to a river having a head any time before now. I mean, then again, he, he's <laughs> tripping on shrooms and eating weird fruit, so... I think Joseph Smith just had sex on the mind. He wanted to get some head, but all he could do was just interrupt his thought process for this, so he's got like, oh, this guy's dreaming, you know, tripping balls, but oh, balls, head, oh! Mm. Mm. Yeah. And it came to pass that I beckoned unto them, and I also did say unto them with a loud voice that they should come unto me and partake of the fruit which was desirable above all other fruit and it came to pass that they did come unto me and partake of the fruit also and it came to pass that I was desirous that Laman and Lemuel should come and partake of the fruit also wherefore I Cast mine eyes towards the head of the river, that perhaps I might see them. So it is a river with a head. We've established that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So just to be clear, the river has a head, just so we all know. It's got a good head on it, too. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that was it. There was a river that had, like, the waterfall or something at the end where it bubbled a little bit. It was frothy like beer. (laughs) Yeah. All right. If anybody out there has ever heard of a river having a head, before, please drop us a line and let us know because this is the first I'm learning about it and I've read this fucking thing before. And it came to pass that I saw them, but they would not come unto me and partake of the fruit. And I beheld a rod of iron. Oh, nice and hard. Here we go, we're back to talking about the rod again. And it extended along the bank of the river and led to the tree by which I stood. Wow, that really extended along the whole bank of the river. Oh, Mm. so long and strong. And I also beheld a straight and narrow path, which came along by the rod of iron, even to the tree by which I stood. And it also led by the head of the fountain unto a large and spacious field, as if it had been a world. What the fuck is that? What? LSD is a hell of a drug. It would have been interesting to hear the sermons on this, how people would try to make it make sense. All right. Well, now that that's as clear as mud, (laughs) river has a head, which is also a fountain, iron rod, straight, narrow path, out in the field. What could be simpler? Yeah. (laughs) See where they end up next. And I saw numberless concourses of people, many of whom were pressing forward that they might obtain the path which led unto the tree by which I stood. Okay. Oh, so hang on. He's not moving. Other people are coming towards him. I don't think he knows who's coming and who's going. Yeah, because hang on. They beheld a rod that extended. Oh, they beheld his rod, all right. So he can see that this path leads to a distant field but he's still standing by the tree at the head of the river and now other people are coming towards him so he hasn't moved he's still there at the tree i guess but i didn't think he was at the tree at first or was he yeah he was because he was calling to his family to come and eat it he was like come and try this fruit okay and now suddenly other people are there and they want to come along as well but But where's the rod extending then? Is the rod going out from the tree? Going out from the tree to this field. Ah, and are the people on the field? Yeah, so he hasn't moved. He stayed next to the tree, and now other people are coming towards him. Oh, Jesus Christ. How are they going to get there? Like, are they going to walk on the rod or something? Well, there's the path next to the rod. Oh, that's right. But how does the path get there when there's water? In... Oh, that's right. It goes along. It goes along the river. But you think, why you have both if there's a straight and narrow path and an iron rod? I don't know. Isn't one sufficient? Like, you've got a straight path. It's pretty obvious which direction you need to go. But just in case, there's a rod to hold onto as well. This is starting to sound as silly as Isaiah. Have you ever read Isaiah? Oh, Oh my God, it's just so dumb. Spoiler alert, Isaiah is coming up. There is a whole book where Joseph Smith just copied Isaiah word for word. It's just so nonsensical. Yeah. No, it's profound and spiritual. 
I don't know how anyone gives any credence to that horse shit. Whenever we had to study Isaiah, we're always told he was so prophetic and so spiritual that everything he said could have two or three different meanings and it was so layered. And I'm like, no, the guy's just tripping. And it came to pass that they did come forth and commence in the path which led to the tree. And it came to pass that there arose a mist of darkness, yea, even an exceedingly great mist of darkness, as you've already said that, Joseph, insomuch that they who had commenced in the path did lose their way, that they wandered off and were lost. Yes, that's what lose their way means. Jesus Christ! It's just because he's meandering, he's riffing this on the spot, and Oliver Cowdery's jotting it down like a little... Really does like to say the same thing twice, doesn't he? <sighs> Trying to sound all spiritual and prophetic. It's like he had a thesaurus, and he's like, yeah, how many ways can I say the same thing? If you cut it down all the needlessly long sentences, this whole goddamn book could be a pamphlet. That's what I'm hoping to achieve by rewriting the book a chapter at a time. Yeah, yeah, we'll just come up with a pamphlet, make it a hell yeah. of a lot easier. The pamphlet of Mormon. <laughs> the pamphlet of Mormon. <laughs> the abridged version of the abridged version. Yeah. <laughs> and it came to pass <coughs> that I beheld others pressing forward, and they came forward and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron, and they did press forward through the mist of darkness, clinging to the rod of iron, even until they did come <coughs> forth and partake of the fruit of the tree. Again, it sounds like a teenage male late at night, dark room, holding to his rod until the fruit comes forth. It does sound like that. Yeah. Mm. That answers my previous questions. I like they've got the straight and narrow path and the rod. Okay, I'll give them that. Everything got dark. They couldn't see the path. I'm following to a degree now. Wet dream complete. Yeah. And after they had partaken of the fruit of the tree, they did cast their eyes about as if they were ashamed. Oh, he feels ashamed after his wet dream. And I also cast my eyes round about and beheld on the other side of the river of water a great and spacious building. And it stood, as it were, in the air, high above the earth. Oh, it's high, all right. He is so high right now. And it was filled with people both old and young, both male and female, sometimes at the same time. <laughs> oh, he acknowledges the females exist. That's progressive. Yeah. All right, keep going. And their manner of dress was exceedingly fine, and they were in the attitude of mocking and pointing their fingers towards those who had come <laughs> at and were partaking of the fruit. Oh, that's such a shitty way to write that. Come at. They're like, come at the tree. Yeah, <laughs> the at doesn't need to be there. You say they were mocking those who had come and were eating the fruit. Oh, my God, that's so crappy. That, that at is so not needed, that. Just sounds really, really dirty. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, they could shoot a long way, you know. And after they had tasted of the fruit, they were ashamed because of those that were scoffing at them, and they fell away into forbidden paths and were lost. Why are there suddenly forbidden paths? Why are they forbidden to taste the fruit? I don't get it. They're ashamed of eating the fruit because the people in the big building were mocking them. But then all of a sudden now we also have forbidden paths. There was nowhere earlier where it said there were paths that they couldn't go on. Oh. All of a sudden, there are forbidden paths. So the people that were nicely dressed and jeering at them mocked them for eating the fruit, and then they were like, you know what? They were right. They're mocking us. I'm going to take this path I've never been down and get lost. Yep. What the fuck is going on? And who mocks people for eating fruit? If you eat something that generally tastes nice yeah. and people make fun of you, you're just going to be like, well, fuck you. It tastes good. Fuck you. Yeah. I like this apricot. Yeah. My reaction would be to pick one and go to these people mocking me and say, here, try this yourself. Taste it. This shit is wicked. There is a clear, very anti-fruitist agenda going on here. Ah, oh, they're definitely fruity. And now I, Nephi, do not speak all the words of my father. Well, thank fuck for that, Nephi. We'd be here all fucking night. Uh, we'll be a hundred before we finish this show. But to be short in writing, behold. Yep. <laughs> be short in writing. Why start now? You haven't once been short in writing. I can't believe he actually said what we've been saying all along. <laughs> <laughs> Everything so far has been the opposite of being short in writing. Oh, Nephi, oh, you and your hilarious. antics. 
<laughs> but to be short in riding, behold, he saw other multitudes pressing forward, and they came and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron. God, he really likes this rod of iron. Yeah, and holding onto it. And they did press their way forward, continually holding fast to the rod of iron, until they came forth and fell down and partook of the fruit of the tree. And they fell down and partook of the fruit? Yeah. The fruit's fallen down by this point. Maybe the tree's dying. I don't know. Wouldn't you have to stand up to pluck it or something? Maybe the fruit's on the ground at this point. All right, okay. They're falling down to eat. What else? <laughs> and he also saw other multitudes feeling their way towards that great and spacious building. And it came to pass <coughs> that many were drowned in the depths of the fountain and many were lost from his view, wandering in strange roads. The river is drowning people now. Okay. Mm. Earlier on, it was all good and everyone's standing at its head and now it's suddenly drowning people. Why are they walking into the river if they can't swim? Yeah. Yeah. And why are they wandering in strange roads? They could just turn around and go back to the big field they came from pretty easily, you know, just 180 head back. But they're like, no, let's go down the creepy, scary road, all because of this fruit. I just have a real problem with that preposition too, like wandering in yeah. strange roads. It just doesn't sound right. You don't walk in a road. No. You walk on a road. I tell you, the divine spell check he was using was just shithouse. Oh, God is so good at spelling. One of those rocks was clearly faulty. <laughs> I wonder if you could send it back to the manufacturer. This rock is just giving me bad grammar. I need to exchange it for something better. Oliver Cowdery should have sent Smitty back to the manufacturer. Yeah, they're writing this down thinking, oh, yeah, this is divine words. This is great. The Lord doesn't know how to speak fucking English, but whatevs. And great was the multitude that did enter into the strange building. And after they did enter into that building, they did point the finger of scorn at me and those that were partaking of the fruit also. But we heeded them not. Uh, I keep forgetting this is an audio-only podcast, but I am like <laughs> scorn pointing at the camera right now. The finger of scorn! <sighs> That should be another Patreon goal. Start doing these as video recordings. Then you can see my finger of scorn. <laughs> and we can get you a better video camera. Yeah. There was one exists that makes me look about 20 kilos lighter. Oh, see, by that time you will have lost all the weight. I have faith. Oh, okay. Thank you for your faith, sister. Well, you're going to want to lose the weight so that you can be drowning in pussy. Yeah. Want to do more walking in wilderness and eating fruit. Yeah. Okay. okay, that works. All right. These are the words of my father. For as many as heeded them had fallen away. And Laman and Lemuel partook not of the fruit, said my father. Oh, he really doesn't like those particular kids, does he? <coughs> and it came to pass, <coughs> after my father had spoken all the words of his dream or vision, <laughs> he doesn't care what it was, dream or vision, which were many, he said unto us, because of these things which he saw in a vision, he exceedingly feared for Laman and Lemuel. Yea, he feared lest they should be cast off from the presence of the Lord. And he did exhort them. Then, with all the feeling of a tender parent, so tender. This tender parent pretty much spends his whole time bitching at two of his sons and praising the other two. Laman, Lemuel, why can't you be more like a younger brother? That's not a tender parent. <laughs> exactly. That's not a I love you for who you are and I appreciate your interests type of parent. That's a you're not fucking good enough parent and that's not tender. <laughs> no, that's judgmental parent. And that's just shithouse. All right, so, and he did exhort them then with all the feeling of a tender parent that they would hearken to his words, that perhaps the Lord would be merciful to them and not cast them off. Yea, my father did preach unto them. Oh, that's going to go down well. If therapy had existed back then, Laman and Lemuel would have needed so much therapy to get through this shit. Oh, my God. You know, can you imagine that sitting down with the counselor? Yeah, my dad doesn't like me. Keeps telling me my younger brother's better than me. Tells me God doesn't like me either. I think he's going to kill me. Ooh. All right, last verse. And after he had preached unto them and also prophesied unto them of many things, he bade them to keep the commandments of the Lord. And he did cease speaking unto them. 
I mean, at least he stopped. Whenever Lehi opens his mouth, it's never something great, is it? Nah, it's all, I'm better than everybody else. God is talking to me. Nephi knows where it's at because he listens to me. Everyone else is stupid. You're all going to hell unless you do what I say. Well, what about that time where he suggested that his whole family should walk in the wilderness for three days and camp by a river? Yeah. That wasn't good news. A river with a head. Yeah. Well, what about that time when he imagined that everyone was going to kill him? There was no evidence of that. And he decided to do that. Yeah. 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 This is a man with severe psychosis. He should not be making any decisions that affect other people. That's it. He should be looked after and cared for and kept in a safe place. But instead, because of him, they end up getting on some boats and sailing across the Pacific Ocean. Dum, 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 dum. Mormons read this and they're like, oh, what a wonderful man he was. The chapter we've just read. Is something Mormons reference a lot. It doesn't say it in there, but the Mormons used to say the iron rod is the word of God, which is why you hold to it. It will take you to the tree of life, which is where they had this fruit. And the fruit is God and the knowledge of God and the spirit and everything like that. But it doesn't actually say it anywhere in there. That's just the way they've chosen to interpret it. If they'd eaten from the tree of life, why did the people that did eat from it, when they got scoffed, go to dark places? Wouldn't they be safe? No, because they were being mocked by the people in the great and spacious building. They felt ashamed. But that doesn't make sense. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of life. They were cast out of the Garden of Eden. Lehi saying, no, God wants us to eat the fruit of the tree of life. Getting things a little confused. Reading this now, I'm like, the straight and narrow path is meant to symbolize obedience. But nowhere in that chapter does it actually say that. That's just how they've chosen to interpret it. And usually people who claim to be prophets, they interpret these dreams and tell you what the dream means and why it should be important to you. He doesn't say that. There's nowhere in there where he says why, you know, what the secret message is behind this is. He's like, this is just what I saw. You figure this shit out. I think Smitty wanted to make it vague enough so that he could work with it later, massage the meaning however he wanted to. That's a common tool, I guess, isn't it? The vaguer you are. Just like horoscopes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They're vague. They could apply to almost anyone if you think about it enough. Similar chapters coming up, so brace yourselves. Brace for impact. Yes. We should have a guest next week as well, shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, hopefully we'll get some more guests on in the coming weeks. I'm seeing some up, so mm. uh, we'll have some fun conversations and yeah, see if we can start to make any more sense of this shit. I'm having one of those epiphany-type moments right now where I just want to go back to my teenage self, walk into church, Paul, I am you 20 years from now, come with me and get the fuck out of here while you still can. Yeah. I think I need to zone out and just turn my brain off for the rest of the night after that because I'm just all over the place. I'm guessing you are too. You're looking a bit more confused now. Oh, I am. Yeah. I'm going to go and watch some Hell's Kitchen now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you think this book is meant to be a map for your life and how to live it, it's meant to give you peace and comfort. We are both visibly more confused now than we were an hour ago. Yeah, Smitty's taken a real left turn or right turn or something. He really Joseph Smith the hell out of that. He really Joseph Smithed it up. Let's wrap this patience as always. You're a trooper. <laughs> you are too, Brother Paul. Thanks for joining me on this journey. Until next week, everybody. Everybody. Stay Amen.